0: Like Netflix did for us or even the way Spotify did it you know like I used to have CDs in a, on a shelf yeah. you know what I mean like yeah. that's weird my yeah. music my CD I purchased this like no I have a streaming uh, you know app and I just have access to all the songs in the world the city should be the same
1: welcome to the life-size city urbanism podcast I'm Michael Koval Anderson I did a keynote a couple of years ago, wherein I explored the power of words as related to urbanism. I catalogued around 50 words and phrases in regular use in the various branches of the industry and tracked when they came into widespread use. It was interesting to determine that a majority started being bounced around after the year 2000, and the majority of those words and phrases appeared after 2010. We are indeed thinking differently about our cities and towns for the first time in a century in this age of urbanism. I also noticed, however, that many of the words and phrases were synonymous, variations on the same concept or theme. Many are merely new wine in old bottles, describing something pre-existing with a fancy new catchphrase. Boy, we love catchphrases that describe our concepts. One of the phrases that is often thrown around Especially here in Scandinavia, is democratic design placed on a lofty pedestal. And that's what this episode is about. I have many friends and colleagues who inspire me, and I am grateful for that. Like minded individuals with whom I share common goals and dreams of better cities. Most often, people I like to drink with as well. There is, however, a small handful of friends who I simply cannot imagine living without for their friendship, but also for their boundless knowledge and passion for the quest of making life-sized cities. One of them is my guest in this episode. I'm not just being polite with this introduction. I mean it quite literally. I've known Bianca Hermanson for many years. We're friends and we've worked together. Bianca has a PhD from the Royal Danish Academy of Fine Arts and she has a long career in working for urban change. She is wonderfully disruptive and incredibly creative. Anytime I get to tap into her brilliant brain, I'm thinking about what we talked about for days afterwards. We hadn't seen each other for more than 18 months because she lives in London and, well, you know, pandemic. But I had the pleasure of inviting her as a guest on the Life Size City podcast to record a conversation about the topic of democratic design after having talked about it many times over the years we move into solutions after defining the problems. Curation as the new urban planning being one of them. The forecast said cloudy and 19 degrees, so I suggested we meet in the botanical garden of the University of Copenhagen's agricultural faculty, which is also a wonderful public park in the densely populated city of Fredericksburg. The forecast was wrong. It was drizzly when we met, so we sat underneath a beautiful old tree on its ancient roots. And then, it started to rain. Soft summer rain, but rain nonetheless. So that's the soundtrack you'll hear in the background, punctuated with a gentle staccato of raindrops on our clothes. Now it's time to meet Bianca. Hi, Bianca. Hello. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Which is everybody saying that all over the world. Uh, these, these haven't seen <laughs> yes. you for a while. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen anybody. Months. Yeah. So, hey, we're sitting here in, uh, it's kind of a botanical garden because there's signs all over the trees here, like showing you what it is, but the University of Copenhagen's uh, agricultural faculty or something. Park, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's a beautiful park. It's in, open to the public. Yeah, in the heart of Fredericksburg, nice urban park.
0: Doesn't close at four. There's nope. no gate, no key.
1: That's true, right? Yeah, weird in other countries where I parks know. are closed at yeah. night, right? But
0: Especially science parks, right?
1: But then maybe that leads me into yes. what we have talked about many times before. Yes. Um Democratic design. Yeah. When you hear the phrase democratic design...
0: You think BS.
1: Oh, okay, I was gonna say,
0: <laughs> okay, okay.
1: <laughs> I, let's get to that part.
0: Oh, okay, I was okay.
1: hoping for... I was just going
0: for it, man. I was just like, let's no, get to it. No, go hard no, or go no, home. Yeah, but like, yeah, what, okay. what should it mean,
1: the phrase <laughs> right, democratic yeah. design? Because it's something that, you mentioned it in other countries, you yeah, know, in my yeah. keynotes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was sad. I mean, it's, it's intuitive, right. but what is it supposed to mean?
0: Right, so it's supposed to, like the, you can say the literal phrase, or the literal sense of the word, is that it is for It's spaces that provide the most functionality, access, joy, prosperity, whatever, thriving, well-being to the highest amount of people, right?
1: Like Um, everybody, almost, right? Exactly, like
0: everybody. So that's why, you know, interchangeably, we're talking about inclusive design and democratic design. Now, I think the reason why democratic design, also how it's like democratic design, so it sounds cooler than inclusive design, but, I think the reason why it's gained momentum on the political side of things is because it really, one thing is that it refers to the design itself, but it also kind of sort of hints to the process behind it, right? The process of arriving at that design. So, but I mean, for the sake of argument, they're interchangeable. Inclusive design and democratic design. We're talking about the same thing, basically.
1: So what cities... Yeah. We're getting to the B.S. part <laughs> because you really want to go there yeah, and I know I that and, but what cities yeah. like in the world do you feel are perhaps closest to the, uh, the noble goal of being democratically designed?
0: Well as much as I hate to say it because you know I'm, I hate the westernization of the world but uh, northern European cities, Nordic cities, you have some German cities you have some Dutch cities, you can say Copenhagen and Berlin are good examples of it, right? But Barcelona is catching up slowly, right? So we do see it widening, and then we do see attempts. You could say that maybe Shanghai has certain attempts, but they're not there yet, right? You also see other attempts, like in the U.S., for instance, but they're not there yet. Um, and so I wish I could give you like a really cool like, African city or something, but I just can't, we're not there yet. So the concept essentially is focused in the Northern European cities, and then it sort of funnels out from there. And I wish, I mean, obviously we have the outliers like Bogota, right? But it would be nice to see a different take on it because it very much so, when we're talking about urban planning, all of a sudden starts to have a look and feel. And right now that look and feel is Western. And I'm not sure, you know, that's the way to go, particularly with the future B Nation.
1: When I hear the word, I agree with you with some of these northern European usual suspects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think of Tokyo, in a way, because uh, when I filmed the life-size city there, I was just, you know, I spent a lot of time there, but like, just some of the, you know, they have a lot of elderly,
0: yeah, incredibly they
1: aging population. so they're, they have to design for the elderly, and I think what we're going to get into is if you design for the you know, the groups on the ends of the spectrum, you start designing more democratically. But uh, you know some of the facilities they have yeah. to aid people, the wayfinding for the the seeing impaired, uh, and parks that are designed for to transform in, into different things. I mean, yeah. it is quite quite amazing. But um, yeah, we kind of get all the branding here has been.
0: But I think democratic like, design here. Yeah, but when you're talking about Tokyo, you know, like yes, that you they're age inclusive and they have to. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they have the largest. Uh, you know senior population in the world right Um, but there are other ways in which they are totally not inclusive right so I would say like generally if you sort of look at the world right now there's this momentum and this is what I feel like we need to start talking about when we talk about inclusive cities or democratic design the whole diversity inclusion equity agenda worldwide is really gaining unprecedented momentum right and so the, the next institution in line for that, for you know for having those conversations and revisiting those biases and whatnot, it's really city planning. Now, you and I have been screaming for this for the past, what, like, decade, right? Yeah. As so many other people. But I think one thing is, you know, what you and I have been talking about for the past decade, which is like, let's just, please give us equal access to the city, first of all, you know, take away the, the car dominance. And then second of all, Please give us interesting places that resonate with who we are as people, usable spaces, right? I think the next level that we're seeing right now is this inclusive paradigm, this, this sort of diversity, inclusion, and, uh, and equity, right? Okay, so I did this, uh, <laughs> I did this calculation together with, uh, with uh, an engineer where we were sort of trying to estimate, okay, so one thing is, yes, you have access to the city, you can go there, but another thing is, do you feel invited? truly feel included there? Do you feel like that's a space for you? And you know we tested it out on uh, London, right? And we uh, we arrived at the fact that probably around 72% of the population is excluded from London.
1: Just say that number again. (laughs)
0: 72% are excluded. Yes. Wow. To a lesser or higher degree feels excluded. And, you know, I won't bore you with the numbers, because that's going to be a whole like podcast in itself, right? And you're going to have a lot of nerds like <laughs> wanting to challenge all of that and so on. But the thing is, let's roughly say 50% women, right? Then you've got another 10 to 15% LGBTQ plus people. They often also feel excluded in these very car-dominated, male-dominated kind of spaces, cisgender spaces. Then you've got your seniors, then you've got your kids arrives us at a stunning like eighty percent then we have to account for the people who still feel included even though they <laughs> statistically shouldn't but they still do right. So we arrive somewhere along seventy two percent. Now that's not okay. No. <laughs> like in my opinion that is effed up. Yeah. You know? So so yes you may be able to physically get around the city unless you're in a wheelchair because we all know London is not necessarily accessible that way. But it doesn't mean you're included.
1: My first sort of angle into this thinking, um, apart from talking to you, was walking around the neighborhood with Lulu when she was little. Uh, I think some of the listeners might have heard me tell this story before, but it's my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but you know, we're walking around, she's four and a half. She's already the world's youngest urbanist, just blurting out nuggets of wisdom that just make me go, what? And writing yeah. them down. And we were holding hands, waiting across the street, and she was kind of quiet for a while, you know, a little tiny kid. Just looking around, and she just turns and looks up to me and says, Daddy, when is my city going to fit me?
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Just like, oh,
0: God, you, know, I love
1: that. you know, garbage cans, like basketball yeah, hoops, building, yeah. everything's out of scale, right? Yeah. And I went, whoa, my, oh my God, like yeah. I knew that this was one of the better ones. And I said, You're, you'll grow, you know, you'll be fine, look yeah. at your big brother, and, and she got to you know, didn't say it, she just looked at me with like, it's a rhetorical question, you stupid adult. <laughs> God, this isn't a conversation. <laughs> but You're I, so slow, Dad. <laughs> Um, but what happened was, that, like, weeks and weeks and weeks, I was completely obsessed by this question, thinking, yeah. riding around Copenhagen, go, okay does it fit me here. Right. Queen Louise's Bridge. Yeah. It was designed yeah. for me. There was a poster of Michael on the wall when they designed it Yeah. and a poster of everybody else. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. Um, yeah. other parts in Copenhagen, ooh, Copenhagen were like no way, not yeah. not for me at all. Most cities in the world like no, I don't mm. feel like it fits me. But then I decided to give it a name because it was still it was something that just obsessed me and to honor her observations, I called it the Life-size City, yeah. which is the name of this podcast and then also the the global TV series and stuff, yeah. right? Looking for life-size cities, looking for pockets of life-sized goodness uh, in unlikely places. Going to Bangkok, you know, the researchers are going, "Ooh, I don't know what we're gonna find here, and then you just find amazing people raging against the machine and asphalt Bangkok, right? Um, so anyway, for me, there, that's, yeah, there's always hope, I'm always the optimist, right? There's always people yeah. doing good stuff, but you're saying we need to, we're, we have momentum, but we, uh, we need to ramp it up.
0: Yeah, because here's the thing, so, you know, when you look at urban planning, you look at all the books out there. You look at all the design proposals. You look at all the competitions. You look at all the websites of the different companies describing their projects. They all say the right thing, you know. We want to design for everybody, democratic design, blah blah. They all say the same thing. However, I, you know, when looking back, sort of the past, what, 18 years of my experience um, as a, you know, commercial practitioner and researcher, right? An academic, I just find very little evidence of the delivery of that. So it's not the intention. That's not the problem. The intention is there, a hundred percent, right? And also you can say the whole diversity, inclusion, and equity wave is sort of, you know, it's a tsunami, it's gonna hit us. So obviously everybody wants to know how to not get caught in that slipstream, right? But it's not the intention. It's really a matter of okay, so you you say the right things, you want to do the right thing, but the result that I see, you're not delivering. I'm sorry, but you're not, I'm not getting it. You're not delivering what you say you would, right? So really what I see the problem being is a sort of lack of ability or enablement or empowerment to make that, you know, to manifest that intention in built city.
1: I think the visual example of that is what, never stops architects designing a development a building yeah. and their renderings oh, oh yeah. my god <laughs> it's just you know architecture porn look at yeah. all the happy people yeah. eating ice cream and then yeah. you see what they build especially here in Copenhagen yeah. and half the bling is gone and there's no people because they forgot to design that value out, you know. engineering yeah. you
0: take all the fun out of it and you take all the good stuff out of it yeah and so really I think it's a matter of of architects urban planners urban designers owning up to the fact that that they don't know how to make it come true, right? And so that's an industry challenge. But I think now is the time because, let's imagine we get caught in that slipstream of that giant tsunami coming in, right? The Black Lives Matter, Me Too, you know, all that stuff. Let's imagine we don't know how to deal with that and all of a sudden urban design is even more behind its users than it is now. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, already if I'm saying 72% of Londoners might feel excluded from the city. London is way behind. What what do you want to get to? 100% behind? Like, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, we really now is the time. And I think the time is is also to call out the BS. Being like, you know what? (laughs) Put a sock in it. That's not helping. (laughs) You know, you got your like Frauenstädter. You got like cities for POCs or feminist design or whatnot. I'm like stop it. It's it's getting us off course. That's not the conversation we need to have. We can't design sort of drip, you know, democratic design here and there. We need to think about it just like universal design, right? It needs to be for everyone, truly for everyone. So whenever we have these projects and these conversations, I always get a little upset because I'm like, you're not freaking helping. You're not helping the conversation. The conversation needs to be taken to a different place altogether where we're saying like, We are doing things wrong and potentially that is because whenever we have our conferences where we sit together in the room and all agree, the polite nodding, right, we all agree, we share successes rather than failures. I think this is a key point too, right? When am I going to see an urban planning conference where people from all over the world get together and share failures? That's learning. That's what learning looks like.
1: I noticed years ago talking about Copenhagen as a bicycle city and broadcasting that for the past oh Jesus 15 years yeah Um, we're getting
0: old man I'm getting old I'm also glad I'm doing (laughs) Life Size
1: City and other stuff and broadening that you know bikes are awesome but I mean you know I noticed that when I started talking about like all the mistakes that Copenhagen made
0: yeah
1: uh, back in the 90s when they were re Launching the bicycle on the urban landscape as transport, uh, boom! People were interested in that because yeah. they were getting tired of hearing, "Oh, Copenhagen's so awesome, Amsterdam's hey, right? so awesome." Yeah. Uh, what about all the screw-ups? Exactly, exactly. right. Yeah. And then But then you also, yeah, you learn more from mistakes than you do, uh, than you do from. Uh, well, you can also just copy paste an amazing, you know, bicycle city like Copenhagen into any city in the world. But yeah, you gotta also uh, learn where we went wrong at some exactly. point, right? Um, yeah. Even if you don't do it yourself, if you know that that's lingering in the back. Oh, don't do that because they tried that exactly. already. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. How do we define what, who cities are designed for now and have been designed for for a long well, time? Is it just the.
0: Well, yeah, it's, it's the classic cisgendered white male privileged people, right? But the whole point is that the world, when you look at, for instance, are other platforms for coming together, or other democratic platforms. The city is one democratic platform. You got your learning and public institutions as another one. You got your workplace as another one. You got your social media as a. You know, we can go on and on. When you look at those other platforms, they are way behind. Mm. Urban planning is not at par with that agenda when you compare it to other industries, like tech, you know, social enterprise, giving me a small thing like food. You got more democratic <laughs> design in terms of food than you necessarily do in terms of sidewalks you know, around the city. Yeah. Like, Why is it still that when I'm walking down a sidewalk, my desire line is cut off every so often by a side street because a car is turning. That car, the majority of people who live in urban areas, let's just get this straight, do not own a vehicle. They do not own a car. So why is it the car gets the front seat and I get the back seat in just, that And home? you're just
1: walking to the bakery, yeah. I'm just yeah. walking
0: to the I'm literally just walking to the Plus, I spend more money. Pedestrians and bikers spend more money in the city. So it's not even an economic perspective. It's simply sort of an old structure. And the, the key you can say the main character in that old movie, the cisgender and white privileged male, he's going away, he's being replaced. So we need to replace that structure because that structure doesn't, it doesn't reflect the needs and motivations and behaviors and, and wants of our actual users. So there's something that's off and that's what we need to address.
1: I just want to look at it a bit broader how cities are designed for just that massive group in the middle that just have money.
0: Yeah. You're talking oh, about you know, yeah. cis white, oh, yeah. ma- you know, yeah. cis
1: white males and stuff, uh, and that whole, you know, baggage yeah. we have yeah. to deal with, absolutely. Yeah. But really, it is just, you know, oh, you got a job, okay, cool. Buy a house, buy a car. Generate, you know, money for the economy. Go to pay,
0: the cafe, spend money there. You 40 can 40 corner for a cafe there.
1: latte. And exactly. And, yeah. um, and then at the other end, you know, we have the kids. Nobody gives a damn about them generally in planning in cities. And we have the elderly who yeah. we just... They are you know, even more forgotten than the kids are, right?
0: And if you're poor... Because the kids are
1: future consumers. Yeah, 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 The elderly should just fuck off and die, right? yeah, yeah you know? exactly. Yeah.
0: And if you're poor, no one cares about you. Yeah. Because you're not a consumer. You're not interesting. You're actually a liability more so than an asset. Hmm. What is up with that? Particular, in a world where we know i 'm going to say something harsh now, but you know this already, right, but your children are going to have a lower standard of living than you and I had mm-hmm. because of climate change,
1: yeah
0: so we need to start thinking about poverty in a different light because we're going to have more people who are going to be poor based on the mistakes of the past, not what they achieved in their life or whatnot, so that whole stigma around poverty that needs to go, man yeah.
1: Oh, it's those poor people over there. Okay, wait. You're saying I have two in my apartment. You yeah, know? exactly. And, yeah, and that's a scary. You're thought. raising
0: two poor people. No,
1: I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, you're I, doing
0: your very best to I raise. Totally understand two it, but then there's
1: the dad sitting going, "Oh yeah. wait, hang on." Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do we fix it? I mean, who's going to be the leader? Yeah. Right. And where where will the elite leaders emerge? Yeah. Towards the future that we have to have, that we deserve. Uh, the future that we're describing here today. You pointed at some of the cities that are kind of doing cool stuff not enough but what do you think the leaders are gonna come from
0: the leaders are gonna come from those people who are gonna be like you know what enough is enough so it's gonna be small startup kind of design firms it's gonna be maybe some of the major uh, engineering firms that takes a chance and hires some some people in who really want let me put it this way as the baby boomers are exiting the boardroom and they are because they're retiring they currently make up about three percent of the global workforce or something like that however unfortunately they are the also the main decision makers so when they exit that whole agenda in the boardroom is going to change dramatically you're going to have the gen x's you're going to have the millennials and hopefully also some gen z's every once in a while come in and be like hey we need to do this differently once that happens within the next five or seven years or so we're going to see whole wave of things starting to change what i'm saying is i don't think i want to wait that long (laughs) right i don't want to wait for the baby boomers to retire before we see this change but that change is coming definitely and so you can either decide if you're going to be part of it if you're going to be like stuck in that slipstream that i was talking about before and the change is going to come in the sense that you know a lot of this stuff that also, for instance, with the Me Too, right? Like just how flight attendants, people are starting to say, why do flight attendants dress that way? Why can't they wear whatever they want? Or why is the Norwegian uh, volleyball team? Why do they have to wear a song? Why can't, can't they wear whatever they want? That kind of thing it sort of happens because someone stops and pauses for a moment and says, what the F? Mm. What is that about? That doesn't make any sense, right? In a modern world. So when someone pauses and says, why am I being interrupted in that sidewalk by a car? Who owns a car? I don't even know anyone who owns a car, you know what I mean? Mm. Then that's going to change. Until then, it's going to be a political thing where the politicians, again, as we know, because that's how their livelihood is structured, try to please whatever they think the majority is. So as soon as we get not just a voice, But we also get sort of concrete action behind that, because someone just pauses and says, this is weird, this doesn't make any sense, this does not resonate with common sense whatsoever, why are we still doing this, you know, like pulling down statues of of slave owners or whatnot. When that happens, there is no turning back for sure. I'm just not sure I want to wait another decade before you and me, we get to see it, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Now, there's a municipal election coming up here in Denmark in November, but. You can see already now, of course it starts early, but that, you know, they're really trying to capture the vote from the people in the middle. You yeah. know, um, the parents, you know, the, the car owners, yeah. the, uh, the house owners and stuff. And the whole massive problem we have in Copenhagen um, after a decade of being, ooh, Copenhagen to do everything right. <laughs> now it's just, we're, you know, we're just screwing up like on a level I haven't seen in, since the 50s it's really. So right.
0: We're, we're falling behind. We're so falling behind. Car
1: sales through the roof. I know, you know, there's a uh, massive increase in uh, the number of cars just in in Copenhagen. Yeah. And then the way that the developers are tackling things. Oh, right. The, yeah. the most, the biggest dinosaurs in the whole game. Yeah. Building large apartments and homes mm. for the f- nuclear family idea that we had in the 50s husband and wife income and two kids family. yeah and you know double income two kids right yeah uh where we have more singles than ever exactly before. we have students we have and just more divorced people and lots of more divorced people fine yeah so like, it's, it's really frustrating now to live in a city that was cool and now it's just like you know well, rough is, and stupid and 1950s american in their mentality you know
0: yeah and i think you know obviously this is always the problem once you sort of sort of this lullaby starts to circle around you where everything is saturated by you're doing good you stop taking chances because you don't want to lose what you have that's human nature right I think the point is that if we were to include some of the excluded people in the process in a better way than we're doing today that would have a major impact right so um, for instance you know when we talk about when we have user involvement here in Copenhagen, it's the people who show up who gets hurt the most. And the people who show up are either the people who have a personal interest. I don't know, that guy who just wants more parking in his street, you know, and he's just going to not stop talking about it until someone listens. Or it can be that hipster couple that really want like a pea patch, like an edible garden kind of thing in the street or whatnot, right? We don't actually have a lot of the, you know, second or third uh, generation immigrants who kind of just want a basketball court. We don't have a lot of the single mom black women who are kind of like, you know what, I just want more lighting so I feel more safe walking home. But they don't show up, so they don't get heard. So you can say what we could do if we wanted to start taking chances again in Copenhagen is we could start actively inviting those people. So not sort of like, well, if you show up, you're heard. You know, that is kind of Danish mentality. Yeah. You know, But more so, being more practical, kind of like the US, you know, where they're going out, finding those people who can represent. I mean, if you can take, for instance, the UK, I think you have less than 1% black architects actually designing the major projects that win. So you're like, wow, there are some voices here that are not being heard at all.
1: I've also read that the number of female arch- architects in the UK is falling. Yes. It was kind of going the good way and now it's it going backwards, right?
0: I know. It's well, hard- luckily in Denmark we still have a lot of female architects,
1: yeah, but... Yeah, it really is actually... I don't, I it's can, quite unique. Also, the point here is I don't think about that. But when yeah. you say it, I'm going, yeah, cool. And the great thing is, is I don't think about it, you know, because yeah, they are yeah, represented, yeah, right? right? Yeah. I filmed in like 18 cities uh, for the life-size City. We're on a break because of COVID, of course. We'll resume season four, but, it, you know, 10 different projects in 18 cities you know it, there's so many that are amazing that I continue to think about and are inspiring but there's one there's just one that I just go back to yeah. every single time and there's this young planner uh grew up in the townships the informal settlements in Cape Town yeah uh, educated himself as a town planner against all the odds you know african guy and uh what he does is he go back goes back into the hood you know into the other uh, informal settlements, completely ignored by the city. Oh, here's yeah. some outhouses. Here's some, you know, some lights, but they're like super high, like stadium parking lights, right? Yeah, completely yeah. useless in the in yeah. a in the very densely populated shanty town kind of uh, structures they have. Um, but he goes in, and I was with him, and we uh, went in to meet some of these people. You know, some of the poorest, you know, people I've ever met. Yeah. Really. And and he he says, yeah, you just asked them, and first of all, they're going. Nobody's ever asked us this. Nobody's ever right, talked to us about right. this. And then, get a pen. <laughs> the ideas just come <laughs> roaring through and, and all the, it's not like, you know, we want to have a wind farm, you know, because they're, they're not reading The Guardian about some <laughs> wind, cool little wind project, you know. They, right. They're like, no, you know what, the toilets, the, the, the city just dumps them off at the edge of our informal settlement. Yeah. And it says, there you go. And they calculate a oh, wrong. They say, okay, there's like, how many family, how many houses are there here? So there's toilets, you know, but they don't realize that there's six, seven people living in each of these small structures like families. And in the one moment, probably the strongest human I've ever met. Yeah. You know, holding her baby there. She's going, you know what, the, the they all spoke English it was cool. Yes, I think, you know, distributing the toilets throughout the settlement so I don't get raped or sexually yeah. assaulted on my way to go pee at night. Yeah. Okay. Very simple idea. But yeah. also, you know, you mentioned lights before as yeah. well, right? Yeah. And what about, we need like a public square. Okay, can you get that guy to move? And we'll build him another little shack with uh, corrugated iron over there. Yeah. And then the guy's going, yeah, I'll, I'll move, totally. Um, you know, can you help me build the house? Yeah, sure. You know, and, the, and then they have a public square now where they can just meet and discuss issues and stuff. I mean, just amazing, simple, simple ideas. And citizens, I've just learned all over the world, they just have the simplest ideas. You know? I always say, whatever street you live on you are the expert, No, oh, absolutely, <laughs> leading expert on the planet yes, about that street. Yes. You know, every pothole, every little brick that's a bit, you know, you keep tripping over. You can't plan that from 20 kilometers away no, using maps, can. right? Yeah. So, man, it's so important to engage the citizens. Um, but that's a culture that needs to develop, that planners actually want to listen to these people that, you know, uh, here in Denmark, we do it. But in other cultures are going, oh, wait, I have to talk to humans. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I have but, to
0: talk to someone with, who doesn't have money. Yeah. Oh, who doesn't have an interest in the you what know. is a stakeholder right i also i hate that term like the stakeholders i'm like no can we just talk about like residents or like people can mm-hmm. we just talk about the people and not the stakeholders or key stakeholders we need to listen to our key. St- no how about we listen to everybody
1: everybody's a key stakeholder everybody's a key be, right? stakeholder yeah. it's our city yeah
0: it's our habitat can we talk about michael can we talk about how to fix it once you've effed it up
1: yeah
0: because I think, so. I
1: think everybody wants to hear the answer to this. We're just in there bitching about cities and, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe there's some solutions out there. <laughs> Bring it on. No,
0: but I mean, obviously, if we can redesign spaces, we should. But, you know, also with the, with the current financial state of the world post-COVID, we might not have the funds to do that. So what can you do? And, and what I find more and more so now that I've learned to identify it and look for it and really understand it and analyze it is curation. If you can curate city life, if you can curate an inclusive city, you can actually make spaces, even spaces that are just completely off, you can make them work. I'll give you an example, and you know this is one of my go-to examples for many reasons, but this, in terms of curation it also works. We have this cute little square called Schellerte Amundsen's Place here in Copenhagen, and from a design point of view, it's not inclusive at all. Caters to teenage boys mainly as like a skate facility. It has a basketball court. It has some graffiti and a climbing wall and whatnot. But then every Sunday throughout the summer, for instance, they have a um, outdoor ballroom dancing event for the seniors, where all the seniors come, all dressed up, you know, and they just dance their asses off. <laughs> and it's just remarkable. And what's not just that it, it's not just remarkable that the seniors are there, but it's also the crowd it draws. There you see diversity. You have all people, all ages, all genders, all races. You have the whole thing there, right? Just watching seniors dance is highly attractive in a city. You yeah. know, it's just, it's just a feel good thing. And what they basically do is they open the doors to the culture house, have these giant speakers. Just blast out Frank Sinatra <laughs> or Tony Bennett, and the whole like the skate facility and the and the basketball court just fills up with these people, right? They also have um, mother daughter basketball tournaments. All of a sudden, these uh, all these women just take over that space from you know, and you can see all the boys sort of like standing in the sides and they're like, "Hey, what's going on?" Like this is my space and. And those teenage girls are like, no, it's not. And it's my space today, because yeah. I was invited. I have a Facebook invite that tells me I am included yeah. today, right in this moment, this is my moment. So you back off, I'm gonna you know, have the tournament here, and afterwards we're gonna sit down and have pizza, also in the basketball court, so you can just go home. It's not yours today, it's mine. Mm-hmm. And so we really think, if we think about curating, right, facilitating that city life by inviting the user groups that are not invited the design or per the policy that has a huge impact and that's a way smaller budget than it is to redesign anything if you start looking at the city with that lens you can go from neighborhood to neighborhood talk to those people who are not included and figure out what what would include you what would you feel welcome what would make you feel welcome in that space right and then also you're including those people and the thing is though I mean that it does require a small budget, yes, of course, you know, but it's peanuts compared to what it costs. I mean, you know, this with liability and everything, designing anything is a in a city costs so much money.
1: Yeah,
0: right. So it's a different way of looking at it, and I think combined, obviously, design and curation is the best solution. But making it through the next decade until we see the massive change worldwide, I think curation might might be some of that solution. Well, all you would need to do is facilitate an online platform, a sort of calendar, where people could book an event, even if they want it, and then ask for the support to make that happen. To making sure that it's, you know, safe. Also making sure that you know the tech works, and you know you have available. But instead of being the promoter of inclusivity, the municipality, all of a sudden, or the city, would become the supporter, or the facilitator, or the curator, right? There's a shift in the power hierarchy when you do that, which is really important.
1: Bottom up, right? Yes. Yeah, tipping the pyramid. There's a guy working for the city of Copenhagen, the guerrilla bureaucrat, they call him.
0: Yeah, I I love this already.
1: Jakob Jakob Hartman. Hartman. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to say it in Danish and English. Jakob Hartman, Greenpeace activist, you know, uh, for years campaigning. Uh, Now he works at the city, Mm. and uh, I interviewed him recently for another project. And go, you know, do you like the nickname "gorilla bureaucrat"? He's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. actually, it's kind of who
0: wouldn't like that name? like come on.
1: He's like my age, right? But he literally in Copenhagen. There's a program now called Sharing Copenhagen, where young people with a crazy idea can get like three thousand euros and do something just wild amazing there's one out in the southern harbor called the the floating shelter mm. all they did was just build a little pontoon with a floating shelter like you sli- see in the swedish woods you know you're hiking along and there's right, a shelter right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can use for free and you can't get there unless you cross water so uh-huh. that makes you think, how the hell do I get a floating structure, like yeah. a boat, or a kayak, or can we swim out there, can for, we you know, swim whatever, up there, yeah. right? And it's just completely booked this summer,
0: That's
1: amazing. And, and it didn't cost very much at all. Just a place to sleep on the harbor. Yeah. And that kind of citizen engagement is, I think, what you're talking about, you exactly. know, curating. Really, uh, and he says, like, just the, some of the ideas are just like, you know, too crazy to even happen, <laughs> but just like, he's always impressed by how... Creative these young people yeah, can be, yeah. and three thousand euros goes a long way. If you're, you know, already having no budget, oh, and yeah. all of a sudden you go, okay, we have three thousand euros. Wow! Yeah. And then they, they're also creative with uh, with the materials and whatnot, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah.
0: no, no, absolutely.
1: So that, that yeah, I see more and more of that around the world, not on the uh, citywide scale like this program sharing Copenhagen, but it is it is kind of a thing, like in neighborhoods. You see it, you know? it is
0: a thing, but it's still like within a sort of NGO universe. And I would just love this if the cities would hire. They still need to hire planners, but I really would love it if they would hire facilitators and curators too, Mm -hmm. because that's equally important. And I think the whole point of this sharing the city speaks towards this thing where we all live in urban areas by now, right? And we all share the city. And so for that reason, I think the notion of public space versus private space is obsolete it makes no sense it's lost its relevance as a sort of you know dictonomy what what really makes sense is to talk about our space our habitat and we're all here and we need to share it and the only way to share it is through appropriation when appropriate so like at certain times certain groups has it at other times other groups has it blah 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 blah, right and and i think if we could change Kind of like Netflix did for us. Or even the way Spotify did it, you know, like I used to have CDs in a, on a shelf. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's weird. My yeah. music, my CD, I purchased this. I'm like, no, I have a streaming uh, you know, app and I just have access to all the songs in the world. The city should be the same. Can we stop being so rigid about private and public space and just talk about our city? Mm-hmm.
1: So this is our park right now, you and me.
0: This I've appropriated this tree. Where yeah, I have right yeah now. totally. is yeah. my tree.
1: Yeah, no, it's mine. He's my buddy. Yeah, <laughs> it's ours. We're sitting here together. Come on, it's <laughs> we're gonna, ours. Gonna fight for ownership over this spot. But on. it's ours while we're yeah. here, no, and absolutely. then we leave, yeah.
0: Yeah. and then he's his own again, this tree.
1: That's hard for other cities to do. I know, uh, working around the world. Yeah, it's kind of a. Easy shift for Copenhagen to become more curated, yeah. uh, and other Nordic cities, other European cities. And I know it's certainly hard in uh, like North America with their liability issues and that in that liability culture, and perhaps also in Asia and you know, in China or something they want a little bit more control over things, yeah. uh, not letting yeah. the people have uh, the run of the place, uh, yeah. as it were. One of the cities to watch at the moment, talking about this, is, uh, is Paris. It's mm. just every week, Paris is just the what amazing things with mobility but also participatory democracy Um, and they've been doing it for a while but they just scaled it up this last year. Uh, You know you got a sidewalk there's a tree and there's maybe two square meters of dirt around that tree you know because it needs to have that you know open soil soil, right Um, and now you see like little tiny fences put around it and somebody can grow uh, tomatoes. A pea patch right A pea patch exactly and there's a little sign saying this is Jean-Claude's.
0: Yeah, <laughs> because he, lives, he doesn't
1: give you his address, but it's, this is Jean Claude. Yeah. Um, so don't
0: eat the carrots. But
1: I see that there's a name on it. I'm going okay. So he's officially applied to be able to grow. Yes. You know something on that little plot next to that tree, which won't mess yeah. with the tree. But they have just gone to the next level. In Germany, they have a really amazing system. If we get twenty thousand signatures in Berlin, mm. uh, we can force the city council to discuss our topic. Oh, right. Nice. That's a lot, though. In Paris, they just took it down to like a, you know. Ten neighbors, I can't remember exactly, so don't yeah. quote me on that. But like just a small group of citizens yeah. on the street going, yeah, you know what, um, we want more trees, it's yeah. kind of hot. Uh, we want uh, maybe a, a little picnic table because we like sitting outside. Yeah. Uh, and Paris is like, streamlined the process, going, okay, do that, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And, they're, and they're really just starting this journey uh, and it just looks so incredibly exciting, you know, going to the next level and yeah. transforming the city. So definitely, in so many ways, Paris is going to be just, you know...
0: It's one to watch.
1: Oh my God, yeah, 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 yeah. so amazing. Well, how do you feel? I mean, are you confident that we're moving in the right direction? I mean, not because we were negative this entire conversation, <laughs> but yeah, we were kind of outlining a lot of the problems, and you, yeah. you brought the solutions, uh, some, you know, some of the ideas of how we could uh, Quick start fixes. moving. Yeah. Um, but are you, are you confident that we're doing it? No. You and I, nothing's ever fast enough in no, the <laughs> context. Know. We are well,
0: impatient we idealists, right? We are very right? impatient. Yeah, we are. No, I mean, I, I still think the discourse is off track right now. It's a cul-de-sac to talk about designing spaces or cities for certain user groups. You know, like designing a city for Muslim minority women. What is that about? Can we Mm. just design a city for people? Like, can we start there? Because currently, not all cities in the world, in fact, the majority of cities in the world aren't designed for people. They're designed for vehicles, and they're designed for political structures, and they're designed, potentially in some areas, for displaying the power of the patriarch, right? But again, that's all obsolete. It's gone. It has been. It's in the past. It's so yesteryear. Mm-hmm. No one wants that anymore, right? So, no, I'm not particularly <laughs> optimistic at the moment. Um, not that we won't get there. I'm just saying it's going to take us forever to get there. Like how, you know, the pay gap uh, between men and women are going to be closed in 100 years. I'd rather not wait 100 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, so it's, it's that kind of impatience. We, and, and the discourse around designing for whatever it is, that's what's setting us off. That's what's it's keeping us from talking about the sheer truth, which is we need to stop doing what we're doing, start doing it in a different way altogether, and then all of those other problems that we're trying to solve individually are just going to go away.
1: Let me try and nudge you towards a happier place then. Oh, all right, OK, <laughs> oh, no. fine. Oh, an optimistic and it's your place.
0: podcast not me yeah. no no but
1: like uh yeah. covid man lockdowns yeah. Yeah. march 2020 yeah what amazed me was the speed with which cities transformed yeah unlikely cities that yeah. never show up on my radar for doing anything you know remotely cool boom temporary bike lanes boom outdoor seating. Even London. Even London, you know, even Copenhagen, where everything's pretty good already and oh, we took away more car parking and put in some outdoor seating. Temporary bike lanes, Paris, Milan, Berlin. Milan said these aren't even temporary like Paris and like what you're reading in the news. These are permanent. Yeah. This is our window of opportunity to force the urban change we need and deserve, right? Uh, But even Vilnius in Lithuania. Right. Never hear about them and the mayor said, okay, let's just make the world's largest outdoor cafe because our, we have a small medieval city center, small bars and restaurants. So let's just move it all out in the public space for free during this lockdown. It's not always gonna be free, he said. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. boom, and everybody just moved outdoor for social distancing early in the pandemic last time. Yeah. So I'm just amazed at how cities finally realized after 70, 80 years of car centric planning and you know the whole big picture, the monster infrastructure yeah. mentality. Yeah. Oh wait, we can do small scale acupuncture. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And what we're seeing all over the world is wait, why are they taking that away yeah. I, we, I had breakfast I met my girlfriend or boyfriend there right yeah. boom and you know we, we realize now as citizens like there was a lot of cool stuff cities were car free yeah they told us that was impossible and we all saw it around the world we've, we've proven now we can do things yeah. fast Yeah. and we and you know now it's kind of stupid if we don't know, do right? stuff fast no. anymore man
0: I, and actually you know a couple of uh, couple of weeks back I met this homeless guy and he was asking for money He was like sorry dude I don't have any cash you know like after covid no one carries cash anymore right he was like that's okay i got and then he had he had a touch uh he had a little thing okay and i just beat my card and he got you know he got his money okay I was wow. like, that's amazing and he probably stole it but it doesn't matter
1: this is the world's most digital society yeah. i don't even remember when i had cash no it's no, like right. five years since i had any kind of danish coins or notes in my hand even more
0: <laughs> and, and really when you think about it the shelters just, just Instead of, I mean, they should also hand out sleeping bags. But could they provide these people with with digital equality? Can yeah. we have digital equality? You know.
1: Oh, that's a whole nother podcast. That's episode a whole there. another
0: podcast. We're doing that next week.
1: All right. Yeah. But democratic design. Yeah. Wonderful concept. Poorly executed or poorly not executed poorly. at all.
0: No. But, wrongly executed and yeah. poorly executed. That intention is there. The ability to manifest that intention into real delivery. It's it, it scarce. The, the, the great projects, I don't see them. Yeah. I'm waiting for them. I'm still waiting for them.
1: Yeah. But we don't want to wait anymore.
0: No. We're done waiting. Done waiting. Bianca? Yeah? Thank you. Thank you. for
1: As always, for your brain in uh, <laughs> our conversations. Thank you
0: for a lovely conversation.
1: Now, I guess this is our spot here in the park and our tree, but it's also our rain. We've been sitting in the rain. We have. <laughs> it was supposed to be drizzle, and then it started to rain. So I'm, we're completely drenched, but, uh, but it's like summer still, so it doesn't matter. You know? It's
0: summer rain. It's yeah. okay. It's a little cold, but it's not too much. I'm worried about my sneakers. though. They're, they're yeah. pretty awesome. I'm worried if they're going to... Well, let's see.
1: But hey, okay. it was really cool to sit outside yeah. in the rain and podcast uh, and talk to you. Yeah. So, cool. Thanks, right. Michael. Thank you. You've been listening to The Life Sized City, my podcast about urbanism and urban change. As ever, this episode was produced thanks to red wine and coffee. The music was composed by Phil Creamer. Check out his website at www.hereonout.ca. I'm Michael Koval Anderson. Thanks for listening.